listening to Fresh Take. You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. What to do? Welcome to Fresh Take, Joshua Adam Lamarth with Andy Kenyar. Hello, sir. How's it going, Andy? It's good. How are things with you? They are going good. We are uh, past episode two of Loki right now, and uh, we just we got a few MCU things to talk about. Things are not going good for the Marvels. Going actually very bad for the Marvels for uh, box office returns. So maybe we'll talk about that, especially with. Sag uh, looking to be going longer than we thought now and no possible press tour for that. That could be really bad for the Marvels. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's just interesting to see how how all of that, all the strikes have really affected things and how it's pushed things back. And, you know, I you, you'd like to think that press and that sort of thing isn't the be all and end all of a movie success, but uh the studios certainly believe that, that that's a bigger thing. I mean, you saw it with things like Dune being pushed back um, mm-hmm. and, you know, their, their unwillingness to, to even launch a movie of that, of that status or size or scope or whatever and not have the, the press behind it. Um, you would think that for movies like Star Wars or Marvel or Dune or something along those lines that you wouldn't necessarily need that, um, but clearly that's not the case. One well, Brie Larson is such a big star. Having her on a show, it, like a Jimmy Kimmel, I would assume all three women would have been on Jimmy Kimmel, for example, promoting the show, or pretty much wherever they go. I would assume they would have been a pair and done all this stuff for the press tour. So stuff like that, I do think was missed. Stuff with Loki, I think you're already you know necessarily in the bank of knowing everything about the show. I mean, it would have helped to have Hiddleston or Owen Wilson. Uh, or Kwai Yang go around and you know promote stuff but for the most part I think you're pretty good yeah I mean I think for a a tv series where you're into season two something like that I think if this was season one for Loki this would probably be maybe a bigger uh you know a bigger concern not having the media behind it um but I think having it been such a successful you know first season and you know the the launch with uh with the when it when it came out first at Disney plus that um you know, it, it's probably an entity onto its own right now. Okay, so what are your first initial initial uh, feelings on the first two episodes? It's great. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's the one Marvel show that's been out that you know it feels very much like its own sort of contained universe. <laughs> um, you know, it it has a very similar feel to the original the original first season. Um, which I think is interesting, considering you have totally different writing team, um, you know, totally different um, production team, all that sort of stuff. Um, but um, I think when you have Tom Hiddleston at the the helm of the the show, it it does allow them to to sort of um, you know be very much you know a, a continuation. Um, you know, I think the addition of Ob um, has been fantastic. Oh, yeah. um, you know, he he fits in perfectly. Um, and I think he he actually allows Owen Wilson's character to be Mobius to be a little bit more serious. Like in the first season, I think he provided some of the comic relief mm-hmm. um, and OB has sort of picked that up um, and it's allowed um, the Mobius character to be developed a little bit more, which I, I think is is great. So I have to ask you the question when we did the rundown, Devin and I were confused. So. For you on the greater side of Marvel, can you explain some stuff here? Uh, and we'll talk about the greater side. So the branch timelines are obviously bad, correct? In, um, you know, I think I think as it was described in season one, that that's that's bad. Yep. <laughs> so that's why when they were getting pruned, it's like, isn't that what uh, when they had the them bombed, even though I know thousands, millions, billions of lives are getting lost. Wasn't that the original objective? I think that's that's really the the direction of the show, though. Like you know, when you when you look at season one, you know everything was about taking care of the sacred timeline, mm-hmm. and you know sort of the impact that that was having on other lives, um, you know other variants, whatever it is, was very much not considered. 
And in season two, what you're seeing is a real directional change of the, T, the people that are in the TVA now, because they're seeing the impact of what the branch timelines actually represent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why you're seeing whether, you know, um, you know, it's the hunters or uh, Sylvie or Mobius, you know, they're suddenly much more aware of the repercussions of pruning other timelines. Um, you know, General Docs is really the only one who seems to still have the old school um, TVA mentality where she's not seeing the impact of what that pruning is really representing. And then, so a multiverse is different than branch timelines. In reality, that's what the branch timelines are. Okay. Like each one of the so, branch so timelines where is Krasinski, a multiverse. So where Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic, that's a branch timeline. So I think what the difference is, is all these branch timelines, if you actually look at the, the graphic, these were all branches off the 616 universe. So they're all different variants of this particular main sort of continuity. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Krasinski, he was 815, I believe is what they what they labeled that one yeah. as. So it would have branches coming all off of that main continuity as well. Um, I think what General Docs was doing is she was pruning versions of the 616 timeline. So these would all be versions of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it. Okay. So then the Krasinski one would be a separate timeline. A that totally could have separate, a, okay. a totally separate ver- so a multiverse separate version within, so, the, within the multiverse. So when Cleo comes to Dr. Strange and said there's incursions, she's talking about maybe incursions on the s- sacred timeline or overall? Well, see, within the sacred timeline, you're going to have different versions of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. So you have... 616, you have 815, you have all the different versions within the multiverse. And that's when you actually see everything going into the, the, the loom. That's all the different versions of the multiverse being wound together with the branches gone. Right. So that's what OB is trying to say. Is, at least that's what I, I'm taking out of this is OB is saying there, there's so many branched timelines within the multiverse that when they're going into the loom, the loom can't handle that much because yeah. that's really what the TVA was doing. It was trimming the branches off of the multiversal timelines. And and how does that um, add up with Cleo talking about incursions? Well, incursions are where you have one version of a timeline of of a multi of the multiverse being impacted by another so whether it's 815 is impacting 616 Mm -hmm. and that's when you have those incursions because one is impacting the other so i'm assuming it's not necessarily the branches it's 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 probably a reflection of one of the branches that is carrying it into the other um but probably dr strange well clea wanda probably is part of that incursion from the that concern uh the krasinski fantastic one well that's what they were talking about when they are when they're walking in the other versions of the timeline yeah that's where the incursions happen right because one element of 616 is now impacting 815 yeah makes sense you know when you have the doctor strange in the 815 universe they're creating an incursion because one is impacting the other when it was different versions of Spidey coming into the 615, 616 universe, multiverse, that's where the incursions were happening. And so what comic, because there was ultimately kind of DC did this with New 52. Obviously, people know I'm the more on the DC side for knowledge of comics. But in Marvel, was it not, was it a secret war that kind of brought Miles into like the 616 and kind of just brought everyone into one universe more or less? And that kind of seems what the goal is for what we're doing here with MCU. That's pretty much it. Like Miles existed outside of the 616 multiverse when it was originally written um, because you had Peter Parker as this universe's Spider-Man. Really what happened is when Secret Wars happened, you had all these different versions from different versions of the multiverse all put into one place. 
And then all of the people who were left were brought back to 616. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how you got the overlap of some of these characters that were written into different versions of the multiverse, where suddenly they were all in the same place. And now what we're hearing for Secret Wars is like Toby and Hugh and Deadpool, they're all kind of be a big part of what Secret Wars is going to be. Exactly, which is in reality what Secret Wars was, right? You did have different versions of each character um, from different timelines, all in the same place, all on Battleworld. And now I, mean, I think we're also building up to, I think the one thing is, Devin and I were talking about it, like there is still confusion of a lack of direction to where we're going, but I will say the nugget about Renslayer is a big one. Because that is the offshoot of, I think, where we're going for Kane Dynasty with where Renslayer is and obviously being with Kane and knowing the relationship we know she has with Kane. Yeah, I mean, Renslayer is sort of a centering figure in it all, right? Like, mm -hmm. she provides sort of a, a focal point for the, the, the Kangs, basically, um, and for the, the version of He Who Remains um, as, a, as a focal point. Um, you know, you and I have have had probably hundreds of conversations about multiverse and, and yeah. through this entire version of phase five. Um, and, and this is why I'm not, you know, the comics book in the comics, the multiverse is what lost me um, because it, 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 there are so many different ways that it, it, it's explained. Um, you know, there are automatically seemingly different ways that you can, you know, oh, I didn't like how that turned out, so I can just bring it into another version of that character. So the the, you know, the repercussions of actions aren't the same. You know, you know, I had this conversation with a buddy the other day, and I said, you know, like, do I want to see Tony Stark come back into into the Marvel, into the MCU? Of course I do. Yeah. But it also then takes away a lot of the impact and the you know what why was Endgame so amazing was because there were repercussions of actions. Um, you know, does seeing a version of Tony Stark take away some of that? To me, it does. Um, yeah. And that's why, you know, yeah, it's great to see Andrew and Toby and and Tom all together. But what, it, what happens if you all of a sudden have three versions or 10 versions or 50 versions of Spider-Man in the main continuity? Like now the actions of each Spider-Man are diminished. Yeah. Um, and that's the part that I find, I find difficult with multiverse. And that's why I think, you know, you, like you said, you saw it with new 52 with DC, you saw it with um, ultimate, um, you know, the ultimate series within, within Marvel that they sort of had to take a step away from all the version, all the stuff that they were doing with multiverse a, because it's super complicated. Like it, you know, it, you know, I was listening to a pod this morning and it was talking about like, you know, can the average comic book fan understand the multiverse? And and I don't know if they can. Like I feel like I'm a pretty nerdy version of a comic book fan. And there are elements of this that I'm like, Oh, that's why like I, Devin and I when we did the rundown this week we're just like okay I'm getting a little like we like like you said I, I like to think we're pretty good casual fans of this and we're like we're getting a little bit and I, I think too kind of like you we're just over the multiverse side of things now too just because you no know, it was in Flash and it was in that and the latest Mortal Kombat game also deals with multiverses and it's just like okay yeah we've had enough like Spider-Verse is well, the only one that seems to have done it good too well, and it, it, I think the difference is, is within the Spider-Verse is it's keeping it the multiverse versions very contained within those particular characters. Yeah. So it's not trying to have all these other versions all overlapped all on top of things, um, which is I, what I think makes it weird. And and to a certain extent, you know, what they're doing here with, you know, with time slipping and all that sort of stuff, you know, they've now gone to a version of whatever time travel or whatever that suddenly feels very much like hot tub time machine, um, back yeah. to the future. Like they, they've now taken it away from all the explanation that you had from um, Infinity War, Infinity um, War and Endgame. And, you know, where you had the, you know, the Hulk giving the, the explanation of how time works. 
Yeah. And now you've simplified it very much down to, you know, where you're seeing a version of Loki goes into the past and explains something to Obi and suddenly in the future Obi is remembering that conversation and and you're seeing it in real time. Um with a no butterfly effect, no repercussions. Yeah. But you're also, you know, the, the theory was if you go into the past, that becomes your future. It does not become, you know, your past. Yeah. Um, so those Isn't the TVA kind of a us. central hub, though, that kind of locks Absolutely. in that stuff? So, yeah. So that that's the reality. I mean, <clears throat> the explanation of why it is this way is because the TVA operates in its own version of time. But for a casual viewer who watched Infinity War and Endgame is like, didn't you just spend a whole bunch of time explaining to us that that's not how time travel works? Um, so, you know, I, I think that's adding to the confusion. Um, and, and I think it, it really does show, you know, obviously they had, you know, Waldron and the Rick and Morty guys were a big part of writing a lot of this stuff within sort of the Marvel multiverse saga. And I think the challenge that you had there is, you know, the Rick and Morty show had its very own little niche version of itself. Um, it even got it a little was, convoluted at the end, like the second last season of it, explaining stuff with Rick and multi. It was like, okay, I'm Devin and I had the joke, and I had the joke whenever like I go back to Austin Powers with the time travel. It's like, oh no, I've gone cross-eyed because it gets very right. confusing. And, and so whether it's Rick and Morty or Doctor Who or whoever it is in, you know, these sort of very niche versions of time travel explained, I guess, fairly well within those versions, when you try to expand it out onto the scope of what the MCU is, it becomes very, very convoluted. And now you have such a broad fan base that is going to struggle with things. And, you know, yes, I have a pretty good history and understanding of how you know, multiverse works and all that sort of stuff from my time with the comics. But if it's still confusing to me, then I feel bad for the average fan because, <laughs> you know, it, it is going to be difficult. And and I, so I hate to make this to the, I'm asking Andy all the question stuff, but that's why we have her because you're the expert. The other, the other uh, critique, I guess, that we had on the show was, uh, or not a critique, confusing, confusing part is Loki's powers kind of expanded a little bit in this episode with the the green blast and the, the shadow figures. And it was just like, man, he could have used this a lot in Avengers. Well, so you, you're remembering that, I mean, so he's always had his magic. Um, the cool part is, is because they're back into the timeline stuff, he actually has access to his magic because in the TVA, he doesn't. Yes. You know, his magic doesn't work in the TVA. Mm. So it, that part is cool. Um, you know, I think what you saw is, you know, the version of Loki that you had in Avengers was, you know, you have all these other skills, but you're because he became very reliant on the, the power of the mind stone of the Tesseract, right? Of the yeah. stone and the staff. Um, you know, I, I guess it's one of those when you have a when you have a bazooka, you don't pull out your pistol. And that's kind yeah. of what the staff was in all of that is sure. it was the bazooka. Um, so it is cool to see these version, this version of Loki with, you know, whether it's, you know, putting up the duplicate versions of himself or the shadow figures or his ability to, to, you know, use telekinetic powers to move a character or whatever. And all that stuff is cool because that's kind of what you saw in the Thor, in the Thor movies is you saw those versions of his magic. Um. So kind of going, finishing off of the multiverse, are you kind of ready to kind of, it sounds like you're kind of ready to be done with all this. And are, are do you like the idea of where we're potentially going, where we're going to get to Secret Wars? And it's kind of sounds like at least the MCU has a soft reboot, quote unquote. I mean, you know, I think we've talked about this a bunch of times. I think the problem is, is ideally, I bet if you would have asked Kevin Feige how this phase of the MCU would have gone. He it's a failure. Well, but he would have said, I wish it would have been mutants or Fantastic yeah. or or something else. Like, I think yeah. that's ideally where he would have liked this to have gone in terms of following up from Endgame. Um, 
the multiverse saga is such a huge component of the comics that you knew they were going to do a version of this at some point and everyone was clamoring for secret wars like mm-hmm. that was and, and i think it's you know it's the nature of the fandom the fandom wants to see cameos and other versions and all of this and you know the only way that you could really justify bringing fox characters over was with multiverse mm-hmm. um i think if feige would have had his way he would have slowly introduced mutants he would have slowly introduced the fantastic four but he can't till 2025 for the mutants but, at but least. that was that that wasn't on the on the yeah. available uh, you know sort of agenda um so he jumped right into multiverse and i think for him he was like well you know it's going to allow me to bring in some fringe characters and it's going to allow me to do this and it's going to allow me to do that and then that whole direction was also then solidly kicked in the ass because the direction that disney was going and the push towards disney plus was content 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 let's push out as much stuff as we possibly can and you know we have disney plus that we have to fill up and you know i think it you know it's definitely come out you know you know Iger has come out and said you know he was part of the problem because he was the one who originally said well the way that we were lowjacking our direction of how we did movies we just assumed that we could do that in television as well and when i say that what 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 marvel was doing is they would have a not a script they would have like an outline of how a movie was going to be done mm-hmm. and the outline was based on the direction of where they wanted the movie to end and then they would be writing that movie while the movie was being done now in an hour and a half, a two hour, two and a half hour movie, you can have that because you're still all sort of just grinding towards the end of, you need this movie to end you here. The problem with television is television just doesn't work that way. You know, television is by nature episodic and you can't tell one giant all encompassing story with those same guidelines. Um, And I think that's why a, you saw, you know, short six, you know, episode television shows that didn't necessarily always work. Um, It certainly didn't work in the versions that, you know, whether it was Falcon and Winter Soldier or Moon Knight or Secret Invasion or whatever, where you're trying to tell one kind of giant story and you're just sort of telling one big movie with breaks in the movie. The versions that worked best were Loki and WandaVision that you were telling a story very much like a TV show where it mm-hmm. was week to week versions and you were moving the story along that way. You weren't just trying to have one big six hour movie. Um, yeah. And you and I have talked about this before. I think what werewolf by night did set a template of like, Oh, some of these characters could have just used that template. We talked about moon Knight for that template. I think she Hulk could have maybe been, well, maybe she Hulk. I think you maybe still needed this series. For it, but there's definitely in, characters in reality, like like she hulk was actually one of the better shows it was i, um, I mean people and it was very She-Hulk. true to the comic right like it was yeah you know the breaking the fourth wall all that sort of stuff like maybe it came off a little bit weird because you're used to seeing that with deadpool yeah. but if you know the comics you know that's very much her style like and it was sort of a, you know some of the raunchy comedy and you know her sleeping with with daredevil and all that yeah. like that's very much how her character rolls in the comics yeah so you know maybe you didn't like it because it was you know it felt very different but that's very much well let, let, I mean, let's be honest the, the people that didn't like she hulk were the misogynist assholes that didn't like it right that didn't like right. the over... i don't like it because it's a woman at the head of the show <laughs> and and the uh the overwhelming amount to them uh feminism that was pounding out of it but rightfully so for that i i, I think for the most part until secret wars like i think everything else was good to fine and then secret wars happened which was complete dog shit and fucked a lot of stuff up yeah and and you saw you saw the reality of you know I, I think a lot of the 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 tv people who were doing stuff really talked about how you know 
they they weren't involved in the overlap portion of the shows of of the MCU as a whole. They were told yeah. here here's the handful of characters that you're allowed to use. Do your thing. And I think you know you saw the version of that where they're like, well, I guess we'll just make up this super character and mm. it'll be the our version of Super Scroll and oh, by the way, I just made the most powerful character in the MCU. Good luck. Yeah. And how are you going to incorporate that into everything else? And, you know, we've heard some news, you know, I think we can touch on this now of, of, you know, obviously the MCU and Kevin Feige has made a drastic change in how TV shows are going to be made. They're all now going to have showrunners. They're now going to have dedicated writing teams. Yeah. Daredevil completely also, reshot after being shot half of it. And, and they're also going to be tied more into the MCU as a whole. Um, you know, what we heard coming out of Daredevil was, you know, Foggy and Karen Page were basically killed off in the very first episode of an 18 episode series. Yeah. And Kevin Feige was like, what are you doing? And they were like, well, you just told us to do whatever we wanted. And, you know, it, this seemed like the right thing to do. And I think he just looked at that and was like, what the fuck? Like, I, I can't have you guys altering the nature of characters on a whim um you know to a certain extent it's one of the things that i don't like about all the mcu movies so far is they killed off every villain like stop doing that yeah like that that is just not how comics work you don't kill a villain at the end of a comic run the villain needs to be able to come back to be a villain some more um and you know the you know the the importance of Karen Page and Foggy to the Daredevil character, if you're going to have that character be a long-standing version within the MCU, you can't remove them. And it can't just be because you're like, well, I just think that's a good way of how we're going to kick off, you know, this version of Daredevil in, you know, in the MCU, differing it from what it was in the Netflix series, just to be different. And I think within all of that, that's where Foggy has really, and and I think the strikes really, really helped that because it did give him time to really look at things and say, hmm, Secret Wars was an epic disaster. Daredevil is one of those things that coming on board was, you know, every fan wanted that version of the Charlie Cox Daredevil to come back. Yeah. And I'm sure he just looked at that and went, what are we doing? Like, I am going to get more heat for this than anything else because I am, what, ruining the character in the first episode? Like, no one is going to watch to episode 18 because they're all going to turn it off after episode two. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that, getting... that, that just shows, right? That just shows where this whole process needed to go. And getting the showrunners, like you said, I think the showrunners is such a big thing of getting to, I mean, it's the first time I would say in five years that I feels like Star Wars, as far as the two big Disney properties, has the little bit more momentum than Marvel has. I think it's and more I, than just a little bit. I think it's a lot yeah. more. And, and it's, and it's been think, a while. And it's because of Dave Filoni. You have yeah. one person who is steering the shows, the movies, everything into one vision. And that's why Marvel was great, right? Because you had Feige at the head of all of this, steering it all in. Yeah, one we direction. all know we're going to Air of the Empire. We know we're going to the Air of the Empire. Whereas this cocktail of everything going, we still don't know really how. We're kind of don't know how we're going to Kane Dynasty, but we don't really we see like minute things for Kane Dynasty and Secret Wars. Whereas for the Filoniverse, we see big details of how we're getting to Air to the Empire. Right. And I think the problem with the multiverse as a whole is it, it doesn't provide a real direction. Like it's not like A, B, C, D, E, yeah. because it's so random. You can get to the end by, you know, jumping all over the map because that's just how multiverse works. It's not providing a real continuous line of a path that, you know, you're going to get to. Thanos like you're not you, there's nothing in this that is getting you to that end point which mm. is a challenge and you know do I think that there has been movies in this you know this phase that I have enjoyed sure I think there's been a lot of stuff and I think a lot of stuff if you look at it away from the overarching 
continuity of the MCU, there has been some great stuff. Um, you know, Multiverse of Madness, I think, was actually quite good. Yeah, um, I think it's. I, I think I, that's starting to turn around now. People are like, actually, maybe this wasn't as bad as we all thought it was. Right. I, I think it's gotten, people have gotten over the, you know, the fact that you didn't really have a very continuous version of Wanda. You know, mm-hmm. all the progress that Wanda had made in WandaVision was kind of abandoned. Um, and and they've agreed that you know they they wrote that movie without anybody having actually seen or cared about what WandaVision did, um, and I think that again that goes to having if you have a showrunner who is more central within the MCU as a whole, and you can tell your showrunner, hey, let's make sure we keep these character dynamics that we have built over here that the fans. Well, that's really what happens love. in Rise of Skywalker and and. Um... Je- the last jedi right that's what happened people weren't talking to each other and that's why those movies feel disjointed well everything right, the force awakens you... built up force like people look back now like oh force awakens people really as much as it was the the last hope clone people really were anticipating that second part of the sequel because there was questions asked about snoke about ray about finn and then ryan johnson's like eh, i'm just gonna do what i want to do and then um jj, JJ was just like, tried yeah, to jam it back into where i'm it gonna was, do what right? i want to do so like you're talking about with the showrunners everyone coming together and getting the same page will succeed to having a better plot for everybody to continue to follow through with and when you have something as convoluted as what the multiverse really is you need that even more now like like this is a story that required even more sort of focused direction by the writing teams of each one and i think when you you know you went to that version of well we just need content out for the sake of content you know feige lost a little bit of his hand you know on top of each project you know his idea was all right this project can have these characters and this is kind of where i needed to end but how you get there is a little bit irrelevant Mm -hmm. and you needed it to be very very relevant um in something that is as difficult to understand for the average fan as what multiverse is and and i think you're seeing that in general you know the the pushback that you're getting whether it's star wars or mcu or whatever the pushback is still well how does the average fan who hasn't watched everything follow this I think we're just at a point where those people who are giving that criticize have to give that up. Like if you are an MCU fan, it is now incumbent on you to understand all of the stuff that's going on, or you're going to miss elements. Like there are going to be little things that you are just not going to enjoy the same way as the person who does. Much like the Star Wars. Ahsoka is such a prime example of that, right? Yeah. Like yeah, everybody talked about the things like, you know, it's Rebels season five. But there were still things that if you didn't follow Clone Wars, you mm-hmm. didn't you didn't get the benefit of all the Anakin storyline, of the Mortis God storyline. You know, you didn't see the value of where Balin was going in in that story. Even if you did watch Rebels. And, you know, that was kind of the required viewing, right? Going into Ahsoka. Well, there were going to be elements of Ahsoka that you were like, that's cool, but you don't know how cool it really is because you haven't done all the homework. You know, you and I have talked about this with Dune a lot. Like when I watched Dune part one the first time, you and I talked about it and we were both like, what the hell? Like, there are so many things in this that I just do not understand. And it was because I had never read the books. I didn't know the Frank Herbert stories. I didn't mm-hmm. know about the the previous, uh, you know, movie or the previous, um, you know, short series on FX or any of that stuff. Like, I just didn't know that stuff. I then probably spent like a hundred hours spending time on YouTube and podcasts and all of that. And then I watched it again and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But you can't expect people in these types of genre shows to get it. So the people who are criticizing these things and saying, hey, like, 
I want them to be more continuous. Like that that was always the the strength of the MCU. Like the fact that these stories were overlapped and there was, you know, it was like reading comics where, you know, you would have a thing, a note on the bottom of a tile that said, if you want to know more about this, you have to watch, you have to read. And this is in an X-Men comic. It's like, you have to read Iron Man this to this. Right. Because this fills in the gap here that you don't know what just happened. Um, and maybe that's something, you know, maybe that's something that Disney Plus could really do a really good job with is they could have, you know, something on there where you have a character like a Miss Minutes or a Daredevil or or, or not Daredevil, um, Deadpool, somebody who's kind of outside of it, who's the person who fills it all in for you. So when a Loki season two is about to come out, you have a. 20 minutes short with Miss Minutes who fills in the gaps. Who's like, in case you haven't watched all the stuff, here's like the Coles Notes version of it so you can come into this show and enjoy it more. Like maybe that's something that Marvel could use Disney Plus for and and explain things better. Tie it all together better. Allow Kevin Feige to explain why he's doing what he's doing and what his grand vision is up to that point, not where it's all going, but where it is up to here and why we're where we are right now. Like, I think that there is an element of that that would be fantastic for more of the average fan. You know, the sweaty nerds like me or you or whoever who is like really focused on the content we don't necessarily need that, but I would still watch it because I would be like, oh, there would be insight about the direction from someone like Yeah, Kevin we're always Biden looking for stuff we may have missed. We may like, have missed. Awesome. We may have missed something from Iron Man in 1963 or something like that that we didn't know about that was like, oh, cool, I missed this thing because I didn't read this part of the Demon in the Bottle or whatever that I could find out or, you know, especially when you get to more of the the, co- the cosmic level stuff, you know, a lot of that stuff is kind of over my head. So when you get to some of the more cosmic stuff in the MCU, it's always kind of nice to have those little notes on stuff. Right. And and like I said, like you have within within Marvel, you have all these guys who could provide so much of that, you know, that detail. Like you could have had in the going into Infinity War and Endgame, like you could have had the creator of Thanos telling you about what he was doing when he was creating that character. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like, you could have that insight, and you could, you know, maybe he would say, well, you know, I didn't see the character quite this way, the way it is, you know, it's it's coming through the, in the movies, but I think it would just provide, you know, color and scope and depth to the characters that would help, again, the average fan, but also the sweaty nerd versions of us, to say, oh, wow, that's awesome. Like, I now see that they've taken versions of three stories and they've kind of pigeoned them all together. And that's why this little, you know, what seems like an irrelevant little thing was brought in because it's going to allow us to talk about this down the road. Uh, A few notes here and then we'll get out of here. Um, Anything else I missed on Loki that you you wanted to bring up and talk about at all? Um, No, like I said, I I think it's, you know, you've, You've got a couple really interesting questions. You know, I think the big one right now is who is it in the end of episode one that pruned Loki? Because you see the staff coming from behind. Yeah. So he didn't prune himself. Somebody pruned him. Yeah. Um, and and I think my my early prediction is, is that Loki pruned himself. I think mm. a future version of Loki, time slipped back to that point and knows that this is what needs to happen. Um and I think that that's why they're leaning into this. Like, if I go back and I explain it in then real time, you can see it populating in the person's memory. So I think you're going to see more and more of that. Um, I am super interested in the, how they've kind of laid out the path of Miss Minutes. That Miss mm-hmm. Minutes was, you know, not just a, a tool, but she was running the TVA for all intents and purposes. Um and I'm I'm really really interested to see how they they tie her into. But the we know we have that season. giant Miss Minutes in the trailer, like kind of looking like Godzilla, right? And you know I I think you also have this 
version of Mobius that I, I'm really liking the direction. You know, yeah. he went from being so very, very positive about everything to now he's like terrified. He's terrified of these other versions of himself. Like when they ask him, like, don't, aren't you curious what your life was like on the, on the timeline? His answer is now, no, I don't, I don't know if I want to know that, I, I, you know, and, and that's a very, a very polar opposite version of what he was in season one where he was very curious about, you know, so many things on the timeline. And now it seems like he's like, well, maybe I don't want to know what, what I was like, because I, I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. And, you know, I, I think he's seeing that things are not just good and bad, you know, like in last episode, you see the Loki is a villain. Like there are elements of him that is, is he's a villain. And yeah he can't keep acting like he's a good guy because part of how he gets shit done is by being a villain. Like his desire to torture Brad, you know, X five is what gets the story moving again. And, and that's an imperative part of his character that you need to keep in place. The one part that I thought was super interesting was, you know, his explanation of the battle of New York, like, I had a really bad day and, you know, I decided that, hey, maybe I would try to take over the earth. And, you know, I got into a bit of an argument with Tony Stark and I threw him out a window. Like, that is very villainous logic, right? Like, it's not always all planned out. It's just, that's what I was thinking in that moment. So, And you got to remember too, with this Loki, he didn't go through the stuff in Ragnarok, right? Where he kind of, or in um, the second Dark film. World. Yeah, he didn't go through any of that arc at all. This is one that's taken straight out of being arrested at the end of Avengers. Right. So like they, that, that was a lot of the talk, right? Is like, why wasn't he more triggered when Brad said, when X5 says to him, you know, when he comments about his mother. And it's he because, found that out in that video, I think, right? Right. He just watched it. He didn't actually yeah. live it. Like he knows that he is the cause of that. But he didn't actually live that experience. Yeah. So it probably doesn't trigger him as much because this version of Loki didn't live that experience. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I like I like those little elements. Like that, that yeah. those are the things of the show that I am really, really enjoying because it is forcing you to think about things and be like, huh, why didn't Loki just like snap his neck the second yeah. that he mentioned his mother? Oh right, because this version of Loki didn't actually live that that scenario. He just watched it on a video. Uh, any other comments before we get out of here? No, that's it. I'm like, how how are you finding the show? Yeah, I thought the second one dragged a little bit. It was still good. A lot of dialogue based in that one. I mean, we didn't really talk about Sylvie, um, but I don't think there's a you know, it's it's definitely her kind of finding her way as well. I, I think that's the one cool thing with her and Loki, the different Loki variants of trying to find out who they are and what they justify of reasons to go on. So I think you're seeing a, a little bit of that. I thought the first one did a really good job and really sucked you back into why you like the MCU. And it wasn't that the second one was bad. It just, you know, there was a lot more questions to be asked and a little bit more confusion to stuff, which I'm glad you uh, rectified some of those questions. I think what's really interesting is is this really, this acted like a television show. Mm -hmm. Season season premiere, you had lots of action, lots of stuff going on. And season two was like character development, explanation, (laughs) you know, kind of setting up what's going to be coming next. Like, this is how television works. Like, you have... In a lot of ways, you would have like the penultimate episode, all sorts of crap happened. And then in the season finale, it always wound up being that's a, a lot that's of dialogue, a, great point, a lot Andy. of conversation, a lot of, you know, this is how great television Because they've acted works. like longer cut up movies, right? Like I look at right. Falcon Winter Soldier, that is a long cut up movie, for example. Yep. This has felt, and Wanda did too, to a degree, I'd say. it feel, When it feels like a TV show, that's how you do better. And I think that's where Star Wars has the edge right now is because that's all Filoni is knowing. Like, it'll be interesting when Filoni does Heir to the Empire because he's never done a movie. But he has done TV for all, yes, animated, but he still knows how to run a show, do storyboards, all that. It's a little bit different for some of these people within the NCU. That's a really good point. And I think it'll be, I think the interesting part for Filoni is going to be, does his movie 
feel episodic within the movie. Yeah. Like, does he have like, you know, in the, the, the classic Star Wars where, you know, it kind of wipes through to the, the next scene. Does when you do that, does it feel like, and now we're starting a new episode of television? Like, does, does, does he create something more along those lines, which I hope he doesn't because, you know, and I hope that this is Disney in general is getting a lesson here that says, Hey, we have to make sure we treat TV shows like TV shows and movies like movies. Um, but that's why I actually, I, I finished this second episode of Loki and I was like, yeah, you know, it, it, it felt very slow. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it the second time and I was like, actually, there was some, you know, the, the fantastic dialogue between Loki and Mobius over the pie. But that was such a different conversation than in season one when they were talking over the lunch, right? Lo or Mobius is, is such a different version of his character now. And he is driving that conversation in such a different way, which to me, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm starting to see some of the, the TV elements that make television very cool happen in the difference between episode one and episode two. Uh, two minutes here. Uh, you've been watching Gen V, kind of your first, you know, you're kind of being into the boys a little bit more. You were kind of on the meh side of it. But what do you think it's so far of uh, just Gen V? I've really, really liked it, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I yeah, we've talked a bunch of times. Like, I've, I probably watched the first two or three episodes of The Boys, season one, three times. It's one of those and shows. Every, and every time I was like, I just don't like this. Like, I, I don't like the characters. I didn't like, I didn't like the butcher character. I was like, I just don't get it. And <laughs> in watching uh, Gen V, I was like, oh, I, 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 I understood a little bit more about the boys' universe. Yeah. Um, I guess it also helps that this is just basically a boys' universe version of, you know, Xavier's School of the Gifted. So it allowed me to recognize some elements of X-Men that I really, really like. Um, and I've now gone back and I've, I've literally ripped through the first two seasons and half of season three of The Boys in like a week. Yeah. Um, and I've enjoyed it a lot more. I, I, there's still elements that I don't like, um, but I certainly like way more about what they're doing with the show than I ever did before. But I actually am enjoying Gen V way more than the boys. Yeah, I'm really enjoying um, I, I really, you, really like this. You saw this week's episode? I did. Yeah, the, the term with Kate, I thought was really well done of just someone that doesn't want to do it, but someone that wants to advance and someone trying to do the best that they think that they are doing the best. I thought that was an interesting term with everything. I, I think they've done a, a really good job of kind of diverting expectations and building up these uh this younger team and whatnot so i i think so far like it's one of those shows it's the first time in a while i'm like i do wish this was a binge because i am ready just to get to the next episode to see what happens i i think the the, the cool part especially this last episode is this the, the 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 nature of the story you know being at a college party where you don't remember what happened the night before yeah I think that's that's something that any person who's been through the college experience is like, I know exactly what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> and and when you amplify it up with the idea of supers as well, with having powers and all that sort of stuff. And I thought they did such an awesome job. I mean, you and I are obviously a little bit older. You know, the way that you would remember something like this is you would get on the phone and you'd start calling everybody and you start to try to piece yeah. it all together. Yeah. In today's society, that's not how you do it. You just jump on. Social. Snapchat or socials and Instagram. And then you're like, Oh shit there. It's all in black and white. I can see exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, thank God. That is not how my college experience worked because I, I don't need none of that easily accessible or viewable. No. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought they did a really, really good job of, of showing something that is very familiar to anybody within the college experience and putting a very unique twist of, you know, what that looks like when everybody in that experience also has powers. I, I was happy to take a, a break from Homelander. As, as much as I like the Homelander character, I was happy to take a break from all that and Butcher and everything like that to kind of see some other characters in that world. Because I do like in the boys when we 
go to some of those side characters, whether it be like a lamplighter or other kind of side characters that we see. So it was kind of cool to see some other dynamics in that world just outside of Huey and the boys and Homelander and whatnot. And I think the challenge that I have with the Homelander character is, you know, it's something that Superman in general, there is always sort of a sense of a level of something bad could happen to Superman, whether it's with kryptonite or magic, magic or whatever. Like there are elements that make Superman still feel somewhat vulnerable. Yes. And at no point in the boys have I felt like Homelander is vulnerable. Like it's the same with Omni Man. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm I'm watching this show and I'm like, how is it that he hasn't just gone and squished every member of the boys? Like all these opportunities, he's such a douchebag character. Like, how is he all these times that he's encountered them? Why didn't he just kill them on the spot? Like, that's yeah. just what the, the care you've written the character to be that way. Oh, and that's, and that's, and that's the part of it that did, I'm right? like, I just don't get it. Why why have you not just killed these people? Because that's what you do. You kill yeah. everybody that you just don't like. So these guys should be on that list. Yeah, well, that's exactly what Omni-Man did. Anyone that got an Omni-Man's way, he killed. So that's kind of, you question when you have something on the same network with Omni-Man compared to Homelander, why is he not just doing like, Oh, Starlight brought a phone out, but he's kind of like Trump. He can literally do whatever he wants, and people are still going to cheer him. Oh, and and in reality, I, he doesn't actually care. Like mm-hmm. his self-absorbed nature is that he does not care, and that's why I think I like the Gen V stories because everybody has a sense of vulnerability within it. There is not this like one character that it feels like everybody is just bowing down to. Um, and I think that's why I'm enjoying this series so much more because all the characters are flawed. All the yes. characters have weaknesses. All the characters have things that they're susceptible to. And yep, I think right. that just makes that just makes the series more interesting. The Homelander yeah. character is one that you're watching and you're like, so Queen is the only one who maybe could like go toe to toe with him. And then he would just break out the laser eyes and that's it, you're dead. Well, Soldier Boy, I guess, was kind of one. But I don't think you've right. gotten there yet. Uh, no, I've just got to Soldier Boy's kind of come back to life. They've just yanked him out of the yeah. tube. Which is good because Soldier uh, Boy's in the next episode of Gen V. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think in that, you know, when you look at all of that, that's probably why I'm enjoying the Gen V story so much more. And like I said, it does sort of, feel like Xavier's school for the gifted as well which I like yeah. <laughs> all right well, well we uh, the plan was to have Andy back every single week here and I guess now with Gen V on top of things so we'll have Andy for Loki and Gen V conversations uh Andy good to have you back and uh until next time folks cheers thank you for listening to the Fresh Take Network follow us on social media platforms at Fresh Take 42